0: a couple weeks ago, I was sharing out of the book of Galatians, and I shared with you an object lesson as I went to Orange County, I was going to say Rescue Mission, but it was Orange County Fair, and as I was there, I picked up a, an amazing tool. It was a Power Steam Pro. How many remember that particular object lesson? And, and I had some people complain to me. Can you imagine that complaint to your pastor? And they said, you, you never took it out of the out of the box, and how can we see what this fantastic machine is all about? And so, uh, so, and also, I, I was telling you that I might come back, you might not recognize me. My, my skin tone is a little bit different. It's a little bit uh, darker as being out in the sun for uh, numerous days, every day for the last uh, 10 days. Uh, but also, there was a promise that I would come back looking a lot younger, all right? And you probably already recognize that, right? Because I did a treatment last night, the very first treatment, <laughs> and, and uh, I am wrinkle-free, as you can see from a distance. (laughs) If you get a little closer up, I'm not exactly wrinkle-free. In fact, there's quite a few that somehow did not uh, leave my face. All right, Uh, just want to let you know how this works. You know, it's important, just like in the Bible, you know, you can read the Bible and you say, well, that's what it says, but how am I supposed to put it into practice? And I could could show you this, but not not teach you how to do it in case you really want to go out this afternoon, buy one. But you, you, you... Alice actually told me how to work this, so I... Uh, so you put this cone on here, and you unwrap the, the, the wire. You put water in here, and you plug it in, all right? Then you splash cold water on your face, and you wait a few moments, and all of a sudden, this magic steam comes up and just envelops your face and just dissolves every single wrinkle that's on your face. Now, if you want to buy this for ninety nine ninety five, I will... Uh, <laughs> Which is just a few more shekels than how I bought it for. But anyway, you know, as you think about it, there's all kinds of uh, times where you, you hear things and you're just hoping it, it's true. But so often what happens is you take it home, you plug it in, and you do everything your wife tells you, you ought to do to make it, make it work. And then you find out it doesn't exactly do everything it what? It says. You know, it's, 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 sometimes it is too good to be true. But as you look at the book of, the, of Galatians, and Galatians is all about the... Uh, the gospel of grace. In fact, if you want to have a a tagline to Galatians, it's the gospel of grace. Or if we try to encapsulate this six-chapter book, it's it's realizing that we are set free to be free. Now, I am living testimony that I am not wrinkle-free this morning. This did not exactly fulfill all the promises that the salesman gave us as we were so enamored with what he was promising us uh, through this uh, special deal that we were purchasing at the fair. Uh, but I want to assure you that what God says is true. But I want you to understand that the, the promises of God are awesome, but, but they aren't easy. It doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you, you, you read it and now your, your life is transformed in terms of everything just comes into place. Because you think about God's grace is enough, God's grace is enough to get us into his family, but his grace continues each day for us to live out. And as he was writing to this group of believers in, in Galatia, a larger area, he was pleading with them to go back to the roots, realizing that Christian life is lived out not by through your own efforts, but through. Through your efforts, having the one who lives within you live his life out through you and in you. And, and so, this is what we are endeavoring to, to emphasize as we think about what is, what is it that God has promised us. In Galatians 5 1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free, therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to the old life. But as we think about that, you, you need to understand where did this whole life with Jesus begin? And the, the passage we're trying to urge you, encourage you to memorize is found in, uh, in this particular month. is Galatians 2.11. Uh, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. And, and whenever we want to add to the gospel, whenever we, when we ever want to add to the message of, of Christ, we, we miss the message of Christ. But what I want to talk about today is, well, how does that live out? Once we understand that we realize that, that we're to live out our, our life by Christ living in us and through us, what will that look like? And we need to understand that the Christian life is not a passive experience. It's not just sitting back and doing nothing and hoping somehow you are, you are on some magic carpet and you're just moved around uh, to do God's will in your life. That, that God is brought us into his family and just like you think about your your nuclear family the people that are close to you you know uh, you you have to live it out what you've committed yourself to and so I want to do a little bit of review and then I want to get into a particular part in the scripture where we sometimes don't think the Christian life really describes we think it's all about being kinder and gentler and I'm I'm working on that's part of what God wants us to be but he wants us to be involved in people 's lives. He, he wants us to recognize that, that we need each other to live it out it, it, It's so easy to get off the, the track of having Christ live his life out in us and through us, and so we need people around us to to correct us and even to confront us and as we think about that, if you have your outline this morning and we had opportunity to worship when we were in Hawaii, that, that place where we suffered for Jesus, I know it was it was, a, it was a kind of an open air type of of uh, service that went on. And, and I just want to let you know, the, the reason we put notes in your, in your bulletin, uh, uh, the pastor there did a great job preaching, didn't give us notes, but I take notes even when they don't give me an outline because it, it helps me think through what is being said and remember what is being said. That's, that's the only reason we do that, is that it's active listening. And As we think about the book of Galatians, which is about the gospel of grace, about realizing that we're set free by all that what Jesus has done for us, what, what are we free to? It is for free in the crisis that is free, but what is this freedom compelling us to be and to do? And so just a couple quick review statements, and then we'll look into what God has to say for us this morning. First of all, I want to emphasize, and this is how Paul comes out strongly, but he sets an example for us. We are free to condemn any heresy, anything that is false about the message of Jesus. And we just went through a series in our GHI, our Grace Hills Institute, some of you had opportunity to go through that, where we we dealt with uh, uh, cults and and world religions that have a message about God, but it's just not true. And and sometimes what we are compelled and called to do is to, to point out that which is not right about people's message, so people are not led astray. And in Galatians chapter 1, Paul puts that very plainly. He says it numerous times. But in Galatians chapter 1 verse 9, he says this. And and as we have said before, in other words, he's repeating himself. He wants people to get it. So I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. He is to be anathema. He is to be told very plainly, He's devoted to destruction, that place of judgment, if he's leading people or she is leading people astray from the message of Jesus. And so there comes a place when we hear people saying things that are not true about Jesus, not true about Christianity, not true about how people can come to know God. It doesn't mean that necessarily we, we get in their face and yell and scream at, to them, but we do speak up about the message of Jesus and point them in the right direction. And I've told you many times, well, you've heard many times, I, I, it's, it's not that hard for me to get lost. It's not that hard for me to go down the wrong way on a one-way street. Anybody else have that experience? And I am so excited when people just point that out to me. You're going down the wrong way so I can turn around. And so there comes a place where we need to speak, and we had an opportunity to speak. Some people even were in, the, in Hawaii, it just talk to them about their faith and the direction they were going. Secondly, I want to point out that, and this is the good news, we are free to tell our story. And I want you to understand, that this, is, this, is the, this is the privilege for all of us. And if we're not telling our story, then, then something's missing in us understanding the grace of God that we've experienced through Jesus. Paul put it very, very simply, and, and, and our story is simply simply, you could put it this way, it's what was your life before Christ, B.C.? What, how did you come to know Christ, H.C., and what happened after Christ? What was the difference that Christ made in your life? And, and and Paul was the example of that, and it really it really related to his message to the church of Galatia. You're going back, uh, not to the grace of God, but to the law, to, to other peoples imposing their will upon your life. And, and let me just put it this way. As you think about the Christian life, there's a couple ways to live it. One is to live it um, out God's plan uh, according to your will. And some people call that... It's, it's, it's living with your own uh, get-out-of-jail-free card. As long as I'm not going to that place I don't want to go, I can do whatever I want. You know, the longer term of that is licentiousness. I just do whatever I feel. But that's not living out the Christian life according to God's plan. That's living out the Christian life according to your plan. I just do what I feel. And, and then the other, the other gospel is uh, God loves you and everybody else has a plan for your life. And, and that's legalism where people are imposing their rules upon your life. We're not called to live out God's plan according to my plan or somebody else's plan. We're called to live out God's plan according to his plan. Living according to what he has said and living in the freedom we have in Christ. But this was, this was Paul's testimony. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, he says, uh, you know, very plainly, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to men. In verse 13, For you have heard of my former manner of life. He's talking about what he was like before he became a Christian. Of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the Church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Or, or to put it in this way, in terms of how we might say it, uh, you know, what was I like before I became a Christian? Well, I was very religious. I had a lot of faith. I believe in a lot of things very strongly. In fact, I was, I was more fanatic, zealous about what I believed than really anybody I knew. That's who I was. Well, what happened? I was religious, but then I entered into a relationship. In verse 15, he says, But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, God is not surprised by anything we do, and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me. What does it mean to become a Christian? is realize, number one, you're not a Christian. You don't know Jesus. And then you come to a place where you now know who Jesus is and you commit your life to him. And that's what Paul simply said. I was religious. I was fanatical. I was zealous. I was committed to all kinds of things. And then I met Jesus. Well, what happened after he became a Christian? And Paul, as he pleads with them to understand the, the reality of the, of, the, of the message of Jesus... He says in verses 23 and 24 in that first chapter, but only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us, this is Paul, is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they were glorifying God because of me. And simply he said this, you know, what is the testimony of Paul? I once hated Jesus, then I met Jesus, and the person I used to hate I now love. The people I used to hurt, now I help. And so he just simply told a story. And when you think about the freedom that we have in Christ, number one, we had the freedom to know what is true and what is not true. That's What is not true is heresy. And we understand the difference between the clear message of Jesus and that which is pointing people astray. And then second, we had the freedom to tell our story. Now, people might not believe it, but you can simply just tell your story. This is what I was like before I became Christ, becoming a Christian follower of Christ. This is how I came to know Jesus. And this is what has happened. And people can see that. And the reason we really emphasize oikos, or, or people in your relational world, tell them about it because they know what you were like before. And, and now they can hear what you are right now, now that you're in Jesus. But then Paul goes, and, and, and we need to understand this, we're also free to reason for what's right. It's one thing to point out what's wrong, but another thing is to give reason for what you believe is right is right. And I want to go back and preach that somewhat of a complicated issue in that day for them. But they were trying to say, look, you need to go back and follow all the practices of the Old Testament. You need to go back underneath the law. You need to do what they did then, and you'll be a better follower of Jesus. And part of that was circumcision. All the males need to be circumcised. And so Paul reasoned with them. And in just verse 3, just to point it out, he reasoned by this. He said, but not, not even Titus. Who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Now, the nuance there is that they were saying, "Look it, you've got to go back and do what everybody else has done if you're really going to be a, a real devoted follower of this Jesus, who, by the way, was Jewish, and he, he obeyed the law when he was doing his ministry, and you ought to be doing what he did. They say, you've missed it. We even went back into Jerusalem and brought someone who came to know Jesus. And if anyone would have forced them, him particularly, to be circumcised, it would have been them. And here is, here is exhibit number one. You don't have to go back and obey the law. The law has been fulfilled in Jesus. And then, and this is what I want to get to today, we're free to confront hypocrisy. And here, here's what I want to talk. And here's some really practical steps of dealing with people. Have you, have you noticed that, that life is pretty easy until you get around some people that aren't that easy to be around? Anybody experience that? And maybe you got that at work, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe your family, maybe people in your church. You know, you just, it's all right as long as you're not around them, that, those kind of th- situations. And, and there are just people that just, just turn you inside out when you're around them. And you just just wonder why. Well, God, how am I supposed to deal with that? And particularly if they're followers of Jesus, you're wondering, well, what are we supposed to do? Are we just supposed to, just to smile at them and be kind and gentle and ignore what's going on? Well, we, we now see Paul, who's been talking about being free and not imposing your own rules and regulations on people, is now going to get in people's face. He, he's now going to confront that which needs to be confronted. And so let's look at this This morning, but we're really going to try to deal with the how. How are you supposed to confront that which you see is wrong in someone else's life? Let's begin at Galatians chapter two, beginning with verse eleven. So Paul has just finished talking about that which is heretical. He's just given his story. He's just confronted intellectually and tried to reason with them why they didn't need to go back to the law. But then he was going to put into practice with real Christians people that that were now living it out. And he begins with a rather prominent individual. Verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, if you're not super familiar with the New Testament, you might know who in the world is Cephas. Well, Cephas is the Aramaic translation of the, the name Petros or Peter. So Paul is now talking about a rather... Well established leader within the church. Uh, One of the pillars of the church, he called in earlier part of Galatians chapter 2. And he said, When I saw him, when I came back to this Antioch area, I saw what Peter was doing and I confronted him. I opposed him to his face because of what he was doing was that which ought to be condemned. Now, in very simple terms, he is given a point of application here. When you, need to, when you see something that is wrong, and you could add the word damaging in terms of what that person is doing or saying or setting as an example for others, you are not to ignore it no matter what social standing or you could say spiritual standing that person has. You are to confront them. And what you need to do here, however, you need to confront them personally. Now, probably all of us in our life have been confronted, but usually it's, or often it's not personally, right? You, you hear it through the gossip line, and, and all of a sudden, you, you, did you hear what someone said about what you did or said, or, 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 or then sometimes it'll happen, and if it's done personally from someone else who's on that, go, that gossip line, you'll, you'll ask them, well, well who said that? And, and you know what their usual response, at least that I get when people say that? Well, I, I really can't say you ever heard that? I'm not sure they would want me to tell you that they, they're the ones who said it. Now, I'm usually kinder and gentler, but normally when, when they say that, I, I will say, or oftentimes I'll say, well, if they're not willing to be named, I don't want to what? I don't want to hear it. Now, I might, it might be good for me to hear because there might be some things I need to change, but they need to know if, if there's something that they see is wrong in my life, they need to step up and what? And tell me. That's part of their responsibility. That's part of their freedom in Christ is to to confront people personally. Now, there are people that are easier to confront than others. But can you imagine this? Paul is confronting Peter. He he was face-to-face with Jesus a lot longer than Paul was. He was in the inner circle. He wasn't just numbered among the 12 and then it was 11. He was the inner circle three And he was considered a a pillar. He just called him a pillar, reputed pillar of the church. But he saw something in his life that needed to be corrected and he went to him face to face and opposed him personally. Can I I urge all of us to, to be willing to do that? Now, we need... We need to do it humbly, and, and we can go through all kinds of passages. We need to make sure that we've got that two-by-four out of our eye before we try to get a speck out of somebody else's life, right? We've got to also be willing, if, if we confront someone about something, that we've got to be prepared that they might what? Immediately confront us with something, okay? And, and we've got to be prepared for that. We've, we've got to do it for not the purpose of, of putting them down but lifting them up, or we're trying to correct them not to abuse them. And and, and this is a larger subject. There are times where we realize that you are not the person to do it and you need to pray for someone else to do it. I'm not saying everyone ought to confront everybody that they see doing something wrong. But we need to recognize that when we see something that we don't feel is right, we don't talk about it, we talk to the person, or we keep silent about it. That makes sense and so the apostle Paul was willing to confront the apostle Peter for something that was not only wrong but was we 'll see in a moment was damaging to the message and testimony of Christ well let 's move on What was it that he he had to deal with and and here initially, we see why he dealt with because. The ripple effect. In verse 12, he says, For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Now... As I look at this passage, there's a number of observations you can make about it, but simply what he was doing here he says, "I, I want you to understand that you need to consider how your life influences people. The reason he had opposed Peter because it wasn 't just what Peter was doing is what what Peter was doing, it was impacting influencing other people to do exactly the same activity and, and what was it that he would, that he was doing well Peter as some have written and talked about, Peter knew better. Have you ever talked to someone, maybe your children, you know better than to do this? Anybody been down that path? You know? And the reality is, is we do the same thing as adults. Sometimes we know better, but we don't do better. Peter had been at the council in Jerusalem, which is Acts 15, if you want to read the back story of this whole account here in Galatians. And, and they had wrestled with the issue about imposing dietary laws on the on the, on the the Christians uh, that weren't Jewish, uh, all the other ceremonial and civil laws and, uh, of the Old Testament. And, and they realized, look, we don't need to oppose them on that. Paul, Peter had had the personal experience of realizing every food was now clean. You know, you you can... You can try every food on the island, and it's okay. You know, you know he, he, he understood this, but now the pressure was on. Before his friends from uh, the Jewish culture came, uh, he was eating just as the Gentiles ate. He, he lived just like the Gentiles, morally and God-honoring-wise, but in terms, their customs became his customs, and he, and he, he identified with them. But when the Jewish crowd came and they, they, they name-dropped, do know anybody that name-drops? You, know, you know, if they want to back up their story, they'll just say, well, you know, I was with so-and-so, and they, they drop that name or whatever it might be. It happens even within the religious world that I live in. If, if they want to, someone wants to somehow authenticate their message, they'll, they'll, they'll rattle off the, the mainline pastors, the popular pastor. Well, they believe this, they believe this, they believe this, they believe this. And it's all right to affirm maybe some of the things you're thinking. But I said, well, yeah, but what does the, what does the text say? Okay, what, what does the Bible teach here? And, and so what happened is they came back and they said they had just been with James and, and they began to look at Peter in a, in a, a um, condemning or way. And so Peter began to remove himself from the Gentile table. And I don't know if you ever remember that. Remember that in, in high school, there were the tribes that s- sat at various places on campus. You remember that? You, you know, you had the cheerleaders over here. You had the athletes over here. You had the academics over here. You had the nerds over here, whatever it might be. And, and all of a sudden, um, you know, you, you knew where your place was depending upon, you know, what, what tribe you were in. Well, it was interesting sometimes some of the athletes, you know, when they weren't doing very well in school, you know who they would sit with? They'd sit with the nerds, all right I mean they, they want to help with their homework, okay, but when their tribe came, all of a sudden, they ran from the nerds, all right? Can, he, can you relate with this? okay yeah, is that yeah, so, and it was because you know the social pressure was so strong they 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 wanted to make sure that they hadn't lost their status, whatever status it was and this was, this is was what Peter was doing, not on a social level but on a spiritual level, and he was influencing not just younger Christians. You know, you could say not well-trained Christians. He, he was influencing Barnabas, and Barnabas was saying, "Look, I, I, you know, I, I, don't mind you know being friendly to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, when no one else is around. But when, when the real you know superstar Bible people come, I, I want, I want to only identify with them." And, and, and so, Paul was compelled to confront. This hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is, is, in that day, was when you put on a mask and you portrayed yourself as someone or something you weren't. You know, if you, uh, you want to put on a mask that you, you were wrinkle-free, you know, and then you took the mask off and you realized, hey, you're not wrinkle-free. Or, or whatever it might be. If you, you put on the villain mask or you put on the hero mask. And what had happened is that Peter had put on mass that he was friendly to those who weren't of the Jewish culture when there weren't Jewish people around. But when the Jewish culture came, he separated himself. And we need to realize, when, when, we, when we ever not treat people equally and the same through the love of Christ, for whatever it might be, based on economic status, ethnic status, and really there's only one race, it's the human race. But if for some reason we, we see ourselves superior in any way, shape, or form, for whatever reason, we need to be confronted that that is, that is the height of hypocrisy, that, that we love people equally because we're all one in Christ. Paul goes on later on in this, this letter. He said, there, there's, no, there's no such thing as a, as a free person and a slave person, a Jew or a Gentile or a male or a female. We're, we're all equal before Christ. There might be different occupations. There might be different things we do, different roles, but there, there is, there's nothing there's in nothing a value greater than the value of being created in God's image and being died for by the the Savior of this world. And Peter, who knew better, was falling into that. And so whenever we see that which is not only wrong, but is influencing other people in a destructive way, messing with the the clear message of the grace of Jesus, it needs to be confronted. Even to people who know better, they need to be reminded of what is true. So what are we free to do? We are free to confront hypocrisy. We confront people personally. We confront people how their life influences others. Thirdly, and this is is an interesting reality, we confront some people publicly. Verse 14, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, In the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is, it all, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Now, he's kind of using lawyer language this way, but basically he's saying, look, at, when, when the Gentiles are here, you, 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 you live like they did, but when the Jews came, you, now you live like them. And, and look, at how can you do that? And so he didn't just confront him personally face-to-face, get him alongside and talk to him. In this particular case, he confronted him publicly. Now the Bible really backs it up, and if you look if we don't have time today, but in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20, it talks about particularly those in leadership in the church, when they sin in a certain way, and it need to be confirmed that they have done that, which influences people in a larger ripple effect, they need to be confronted publicly. In James chapter three, verse one, it says that those who are given that role and responsibility to be involved in public teaching, they are held to a higher standard. And so particularly, when it, if, and, and look, you have all the welcome to confront me free card, okay? If you see something hypocritical in my life, and, and, I, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, but if you see something hypocritical and needs to be confronted, confront me. And if it needs to be confronted publicly, then I, then I will, then this confronted publicly because this was impacting the church at its infant stage, That what God wanted to say, look, I've I've broken down the walls of race. I, I I have now made the church an example of what it ought to be like throughout the world. That people come together from all walks of life and they find unity and love in Jesus. So Peter was confronted publicly by Paul. Everyone needs to know this is wrong. And they need to know it immediately and now. a couple other quick points as we look at now now he gets theological with them. because what we need to understand we need to consider our relationship with the law and our relationship with grace and again as we began this this message we look at look at as you think about what the christian life is all about either it, you can live you, know, you can understand that god loves you and you have a plan for your life you can look at god loves you and other people have a plan for your life or god loves you and he has a plan for your life and the law, which was a list of rules and regulations, primarily to show us that we can't measure up on our own. We can't meet God's standard. He said, look, you've been set free from that. Don't be brought back again to a yoke of slavery. And so he talks about what it means to be justified in Christ. Now, justified is a kind of a forensic word, which really means how are, from a legal perspective, made right before God? Is it through your own efforts, through your... Um, willingness and desire to to follow strictly an external law or to realize that you have died to that external law and Christ has fulfilled that completely and so here here he goes on and he speaks about our relation to the law verse 15 uh, through 19 we are Jews by nature now Paul is identifying look at I I was, I was a Jew, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. We are Jew by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. We weren't those lowly people that you can't even identify with. And, and it was a, a tough thing for Peter to do. When he was raised in such a situation, not only were you not supposed to eat certain foods, you weren't supposed to be at the same table with people who were eating certain foods. It was, it was many layers of that. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified or declared righteous, made right before God, by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that, we have, that, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Now, we have said this many times before. If someone says something in a classroom situation or a uh, a learning experience situation, and they say it once, that's pretty important. They say it twice, it's really important. If they say it three or four times, it's totally gonna be on the test. Okay, how do you know you are right before God? How do you know that in God's eyes, there's nothing more you need to be doing or have done or will do to be right in God's eyes? They said it's not by some external law, it's not by some external rules and regulations, quite frankly, because you couldn't measure up it's by putting your faith in Jesus. Now, this sounds like the power steam, what is that called? Power steam, <laughs> that's too good to be true. I mean, I don't have to work for it. Not only you don't have to work for it, you can't work for it. You, you can't measure up. You can only do it by putting your full, complete and trust in Jesus. And then he goes on this. He says, verse 17, but if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners. Is Christ then a minister of sin? And you're like, what, you, what are you talking about here? He said, look at, I, I know you're not trying to throw out the grace of, of Christ. You still believe that Jesus had to die for you. But what you're doing now is you're saying, yeah, Jesus needed to die for me, but now I need to add to it. And if you add to it, are, are you realizing what you're doing? You are saying, well, yeah, I was forgiven, but not totally forgiven. There's still some sins that I need, to, I need to atone for. I need to justify myself before God. Now, of course, if you do this, I want you to understand that now you're making Jesus a sinner because Jesus. this was Jesus' message. And he goes on and he says, may it never be. For if I rebuild what I have now once destroyed, which is Paul is saying, look at it. I lived that life. That was part of my story. Remember, he told a story. I was more zealous uh, to persecute the church. I was more zealous to follow after the law. That was my life, and then I met Jesus, and now everything changed. And, and Peter, are, are you not, not only communicating to Barnabas and everybody else that that's what they need to do? Now you're telling me, that, me that's what I need to do, that everything I, that I'm now destroying, which is trying to uh, make clear that it's not by the law that you're justified before God. In fact, you have never were justified before God by the law. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so if you're moving that back, every message that we're preaching is wrong. It's incomplete. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Again, he's trying to graphically push that into people's heart and mind. I have died to the law. Now, when you die to something, Whatever that thing that you died to, does it have any power over you anymore? Of course not, because you've died to it. It's, it's no, it, no, it no longer has any direct line to your life. He said, look, at that law has nothing to do with me. It's dead. And so we need to realize that there is nothing that we can add to our relationship with Jesus than a complete trust in him. Now for some, and we won't go through... How Paul argued that in Romans, he said, well, if that's the deal, if that's, good, if that's, if that's what God has now set me free to and for, then I'll just, I'll just, I'll just live for myself. He said, you've missed it because if you put your trust in Jesus and his grace and goodness in your life, you'll be more motivated than ever to live for him. And that's what he says in terms of what is our relationship to Christ, what is our relationship with the Lord, look at Galatians two twenty and twenty one. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, now Paul is now putting himself into the, into the story of Jesus. You know, when, when when we think about what Jesus did, he died for my sins, right? And he was on that cross taking on our penalty. But when we put our faith in Him, what we now is put our life in Christ, and say that that was me with Jesus on the cross. I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Putting putting your trust in Jesus is is now making a transfer that I'm not living my life. I've now given it to him, and I want his life to live in me. I want to live on his agenda, not my agenda. This this is a radical statement of trust. I, I, I don't want to live for myself anymore. I'm exchanging my life for his life. Christ lived in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's It's not my performing for Christ. It's Christ performing in me. It's Christ living in me and through me for his sake. It's a completely different kind of life. It's the life that Paul explains to the church at Corinth. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live in here. But he says, for all those who are in Christ are new creatures. The old things have passed away. New things have come. I might look similar on the outside, but on inside, I'm completely different. Because it's Christ living in me. And so he says this in the positive. Uh, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith and trust and love, uh, in the Son of God who, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. And then he says this. If, if that's not the life I'm living, then what have I really done? And he puts it in the way it, he's not doing. He says, if, he says I, I, I do not nullify the grace of God. And you could, you could put it this way. I not only do not; I will not nullify the grace of God. What's he saying? I, I'm not going to take that which we sing about all the time. His grace is enough. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was found, but now I once was found, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Couldn't not remember that song there for a moment. It's not in the Bible, so I just want to let you know. So, but it's uh, a, <laughs> you know, he, you know what? He, what are you saying there is So look it. I don't want to. I don't want to somehow make that 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 which I sing about God's unmerited favor, God's eternal uh, unrealized resources that I want to realize to its fullness. I, I, I don't want to just put a big X through it. I, I don't want to take that which is so overwhelming and really make it of no effect. But. If I do nullify the grace, you know what I've done? Now, now I've now said that righteousness does not come through Jesus. It comes through obedience to some external standard, the law. And, and, and then when I say that, just let's, take, let's make it very personal. What I'm now saying about Jesus is that he is not enough. And, and really, he died needlessly. The, the one who's, who said in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, look, at it, if there's any way possible, take this cup from me. Is there any other way that we could stand before a holy God and know that we have been forgiven? Maybe you've had an opportunity to share with people that have gone down a different path and trying to know God and be right before God. And, and, and sometimes they will, they will share a pretty significant story about their life and but, but if, you, if, you, if you bring it down to where they live and, and just ask them, I mean, let me ask you, are, are, are you fully confident that when you die and stand before a holy God that you know for certain that he's going to invite you to spend eternity with him? And apart from people who know Jesus, I have never found anyone who said, I know for sure where I'm going in eternity. And the reason is because because if it's based on some external obedience to a a list of rules and regulations, who is ever going to measure up? apart from the goodness and grace and mercy of God, we all stand condemned. But the good news is that Jesus offers complete forgiveness of all of our sin. And what that does is, if that's true, that's what I want to live for, And that's who I want to live in me and through me for the sake of others. Experiencing the joy that only Jesus can give. Let's pray. I pray for all of us this morning that each of us have come to that place of complete confidence that we know where we're going to spend eternity. And there's only one way, as Jesus put it, and that's, that's through Jesus. And then when Jesus died on the cross, he said it is finished. There wasn't any more work to be done. And Father, I pray that each one here has made that commitment to you. They've admitted their need and turned from their sin. They believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again and paid for their sin they made that choice and commitment to follow and believe in Jesus, their Lord, God, and Savior. And Father, as we're involved in people's lives, might we be willing to, at times, confront as well as communicate the good news of Jesus, the only news that truly sets people free? And we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen.